Hello, you're listening to Notes. Today on the show, Joshua Banbury reads five notes from his phone. Joshua is a really talented opera and jazz singer, and I was really happy to have a conversation with him. Um, Some context for this episode, it was before the murder of George Floyd and obviously before the protests. So we don't really talk about that. And I had this episode on the back burner, and while the protests were happening and while everybody is talking about it, this moment, um, I decided that I was going to focus the next couple of episodes of notes on all black artists or black people. So that's uh, Joshua wanted to be included in this, and that is what I'm bringing you today. Please, if you enjoy the show, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy. Uh, this is November 5th, 2019. Agitate, agitate, agitate by Frederick Douglass. What is that? Uh, it's a Frederick Doug- Douglass quote, uh, quote that I heard uh, in a documentary that I think it was about the Civil War, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really, that really resonated with me because I feel like that's all I've ever done is just agitate people and things <laughs> my, my entire life so far. Really? Yeah. Why do you feel like that? Um, just me being, first of all, black. Yeah. Uh, grew up in Central Texas, um, mostly white and and Hispanic people in my community. Um, so I always felt like I was um, kind of an outsider and, and kind of agitating what was the norm for for white people. It's kind of mm. because I always I always just felt like an external force that was like agitating people. But then as I got older, I took pride in the fact that agitating means to just disrupt and challenge people mm-hmm. um, and change the way that things have been. Mm. Like it's not a negative thing? No, it's not. It's like when I was younger, I felt like it was a negative thing. But now that I'm older, um, I definitely, it's kind of my mission now to just agitate all the time. Right. Yeah. It sounds like you felt like an outsider. Yeah, I did. Um, which is why I moved so far away from home. Yeah. Um, also openly gay so that had a lot to do with me feeling um a little bit different than most people yeah it was like another thing Mm -hmm. but i mean once i left home i realized you know i'm not as different as i thought i was there's a whole community of people who think like me and and live their lives in um the same way that i do yeah was that comforting here uh it it was i'm just thinking about post like what's happened since the pandemic there's nothing I know. um but for a time it was comforting to come up here and just live in a different perspective that's really i think what life is about and i think that's what art is about like sharing perspective and your perspective can just change so much about your worldview and your life and how you think right so it's nice to be immersed in a new perspective where agitating is is good that's what good art should do frederick douglas frederick douglas once a slave became a brilliant and powerful leader of the anti-slavery movement in 1852 he was asked to speak in celebration of the fourth of july fellow citizens pardon me and allow me to ask Why am I called upon to speak here today? What have I or those I represent to do with your national independence? Are the great principles 
of political freedom and of natural justice embodied in that Declaration of Independence extended to us? And am I, therefore, called upon to bring our humble offering to the national altar and to confess the benefits and express devout gratitude for the blessings resulting from your independence to us? I am not included within the pale of this glorious anniversary. Your high independence only reveals the immeasurable distance between us. The blessings in which you this day rejoice are not enjoyed in common. The rich inheritance of justice, liberty, prosperity, and independence bequeathed by your fathers is shared by you, not by me. The sunlight that brought life and healing to you has brought stripes and death to me. This 4th of July is yours, not mine. You may rejoice, I must mourn. Oh, had I the ability and could reach the nation's ear, I would today pour forth a stream, a fiery stream of biting ridicule, blasting reproach, withering sarcasm, and stern rebuke. For it is not light that is needed, but fire. It is not the gentle shower, but thunder. We need the storm, the whirlwind, the earthquake. The feeling of the nation must be quickened. The conscience of the nation must be roused. The propriety of the nation must be startled. The hypocrisy of the nation must be exposed and the crimes against God and man must be proclaimed and denounced. Uh, is there an, a, an event or something that happened to you in your hometown that especially made you feel like an outsider? Mm, there have been a few things. Uh... I remember when I was in kindergarten, I um, I made a friend with a white boy, um, and we were friends almost the entire year. And then at the end of the year, he came to me at the playground and said, "I can't play with you anymore." My dad said, "I can't play with you anymore because you're black." Wow. Uh, and then the next year, he didn't come back to school. I don't know what happened to him, but that was like the first the first thing that I can remember that that made me feel like, "Oh, damn." <laughs> different i gotta figure out how i'm gonna maneuver my way through life for a while being this different yeah how old are you uh, at the time i was it's maybe seven or six ah oh, that sucks but we um it was in a really tiny texas town the barbecue capital of texas lockhart yeah texas and it just uh, there's a confederate monument right in uh, down the downtown area right so I just people were really unchallenged. The racism there was really unchallenged. No one had ever come and really tried to change anything there. So, did you know? So, um, was New York your for, first choice when you had the option to move? No, <laughs> no. I um, I actually just graduated from college um, last week. Oh, congrats! Thank you. Uh, it took me six years. And I went to three different universities. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of how I wound up at New York. I started off at a school in Houston, a Texas Southern. 
then I transferred to a school in Baltimore, mm -hmm. uh, Morgan State University, and then I transferred finally to the new school in Manhattan. Um, uh, okay, okay. But it was kind of my initial goal was to leave Texas, finish high school. I went to a performing arts school, and like I was just really set on going to conservatory. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't afford it, so I really went to any school that could. Um, give me a full scholarship but I learned later on that because you just because you get a full scholarship to study somewhere doesn't necessarily mean you should study there really yeah what happened oh uh, this the program wasn't really accredited it wasn't really challenging for me mm. um it just wasn't a good fit but coming from you know um you have middle class family if you get an offer to go to school for free you usually don't turn that down for sure what isn't talked about a lot is the fact that, well, maybe the school probably won't be the best fit for you. Maybe you won't actually grow as much as you would at like a private school or something. Right. And that's the lesson I eventually learned. Um, hmm. um, that's how I wound up at New York, kind of transferring over and over again until I, f I finally got here. Right. Yeah. It sounds like, like you're very self-aware. <laughs> <laughs> how did, where does that where does that foresight come from like how do you like where does that that feeling of like this isn't challenging me i need more come from mm, i just i think maybe the need to always feel exceptional since i was younger mm. I, I knew that because i was different i didn't want to be different and forgotten and no one thought about me I, at least was like well at least i'm gonna be black and and you know and talented and intelligent at least people will know me for that not just that one black kid that didn't do anything right so that was always from a very young age the thing that kind of made me always have to be better right all the other students and whatnot huh. i guess i took that into adulthood that's really that's really cool like i really admire that um like that ambition, you know, there's, there's kind of, um, uh, I grew up in Connecticut in oh, nice. Middletown <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and, uh, in high school I was in classes where it was mostly white people and I never mm -hmm. really thought about it for most of my life, yeah. except for like us here and there, there would be, you know, an incident similar to like what you talked about but um i always felt like my i looking back on it i think that when i was a kid i was like i just want to blend in like i don't want to i don't want to agitate at all you know and i want people to kind of forget that i look different or that my name is different and then i want you know what i mean and mm -hmm. I, and i i feel like i look back and that's kind of i'm i'm a little ashamed of that but Aww. um but yeah, what where where do you get the the courage to like keep to to oh what? I said I think colonialism would love for you to feel that way, but yeah, I don't think right. I think you're maybe just doing whatever you needed to survive. Yeah, going to school with the majority in Connecticut's pretty white. Connecticut is pretty white too, so I don't. Maybe you're just subconsciously doing whatever you needed to to just like get by without having people mess with you too much right 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 you know? hmm. 
who uh, where do you think that 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 bravery for you came from like from being openly openly gay and then also like really leaning into like using uh race to motivate you um i know openly gay i didn't really accept being openly gay until i left for college oh okay okay um, but in terms of being like one of the only black people in school for the, the entire time that i was in school in texas um i think it just came from my mother she's a sociologist um and so she always just made sure that we we knew that you know racism was really silly right um, that we if we worked hard enough and if we paid attention in school we could break i don't know break stereotypes that like people in our town had about black people and stuff so i think yeah. that was i think really my mother's doing and then i um what really cemented it for me was that i i went to two historically black colleges oh, okay uh, that really changed my perspective on like what it meant to be african-american and um prior to that i was uncomfortable a lot of times with being black Mm-hmm. And being the only black person in the room would, would make me feel uncomfortable. Um, but after attending two HBCUs, all black people all the time, black professors, everything. Right. Um, it just really changed my perspective and it made me a lot more comfortable. This one is from October 6, mm-hmm. 2016. It says, I like to create art, but I hate the art I create. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. God. Yeah, that really. What does that mean to you? Uh, it means a lot. It's yeah. definitely. I think it means it says a lot to like my process and becoming a full time artist. Or um, right. Uh, I just I've experimented with a lot of things, and I think I have been unhappy with a lot of my results. But I don't know if it's because my art isn't good, or I just have an issue with um. Uh, being patient with myself and my process and um, and just not being so hard on myself. But yeah, um, I don't, and to be honest, I don't know. I think I may have seen this at the Whitney in 2016 on a painting, but I cannot remember for the life of me, but um, I definitely wholeheartedly feel this way. I can't remember if it was something I thought or something I read somewhere. Yeah. Why do we make it so hard for ourselves? Hmm. I think maybe I know at least for me, I'm usually the reason why I wind up doing that is because I'm usually comparing myself to something or some other person. Yeah. Um. I think that's usually it, to be honest. Mm. I'll, I'll create something or do a recording of something, and then a few minutes later, I'll hear somebody else singing or whatever, or mm-hmm. look at another project or painting and be like, well. Damn, if I could have worked harder, then it could have sounded like this. It could have been at this level. Right. Why am I not at this level? Am I lazy or right. um, does anybody like what I'm doing? Or it's like right. I don't I don't know if it's just a young artist thing or, or not. Um I think I kind of feel like most artists feel mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. But I think what separates great artists from, you know, maybe people who are amateurs or what or maybe not even amateurs. I just think what makes great artists is maybe you hate your art and you're not entirely in love with it and you're not feeling it, but you still do it. Right. Or like every week you're still putting it out there. It may get like three likes and you may hate it. And most people that look at it might hate it, but the fact that you're still actively doing it and in the process of perfecting it, Mm -hmm. I think that that's what makes a 
a real artist because it can be very easy to be defeated. Yeah. You show up. Yeah. You show up and you like put in the work. So mm. even if it might be terrible and a lot of times, most of the time I'll look back at something that I thought was really trash years later and be like, okay, I was 20 years old. <laughs> it, it was fine for somebody that's 20. I put, I mean, I didn't have a Grammy or anything, but this is good work. Yeah. For someone. So, right. Absolutely. Who are, who are some people like um, to you, if you had to pick like five people that you think are, these are the guys for me. Oh, wow. Oh boy. Well, yeah, I can do this. I, yeah, I can yes. Do this. <laughs> um, Al Jarreau. Okay. Who's that? Um, he, he's like a, he's a jazz singer. Okay. Kind of. He really transcends. Do you know who Bobby McFerrin is? Yeah. He's like a lot like Bobby McFerrin, but a lot more funky. He doesn't really do acapella stuff. He has okay. like a full band. Um, It just makes a lot of really weird sounds. And he was also a philosopher, extremely intelligent. um, And he just used his voice in a really unconventional way that was able to really, I think, resonate with a lot of people. Some sometimes at times if you if the words and music words and music get a little bit words and music words and music get a little bit mixed together you don't know quite what to say that I want to tell about it is I used to visit this girl who lived not too far from me in Milwaukee when I was working in the brewery. And uh, uh, I go up and every. I mean, uh, every morning I would wa- walk by her house and she'd be sitting on the front, sitting out on the gr- out on the lo- sitting on sewing. One morning I say, Hey, can I like to? I'm alive, I'm alive. Bubble, I'm going out of my way. 
he, he was in the around the same time as like um michael jackson and stuff like that he was oh, really? around that era like the 80s yeah, stuff yeah. Like um him i really really respect um the Richie family. Uh, I, I based a lot of the folk music that I sang in the, the thing I did two weeks ago on uh, the Richie family from um, Viper, Kentucky. Oh. And a lot of people were kind of perplexed as to why I gravitated towards that so much. But they, um, they're they just a, a family from Kentucky that just had a really rich tradition of singing. Mm-hmm. And they were, I think, about 12 siblings. And Gene Richie's the most famous um, she made the dulcimer famous, the lap dulcimer. Oh, okay. Um, and she became a very famous folk singer after moving to New York, probably one of the most famous female American folk singers. Mm-hmm. And she had a sister as well that um, sang, most of them sang, yeah. but they they preserved a lot of music um, and they collected a lot of music and made a lot of books. And, um, and I, at first I thought of it as more like white history and, um, when I was reading about it, I was like, well, this doesn't have anything to do with me. But upon further research, I realized a lot of those Appalachian songs um, really have a deep roots in um, African-American slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't even think without realizing it, they've done a lot of research and preserving a lot of African-American history as well. Um, oh, you're saying like you think they indirectly preserved a lot of African-American history? Yes, without realizing it. Because I mean, I, I don't think a lot of people realize that American folk music um, has a, a very strong um, influence of um, African American slavery. Yeah. Uh, so, I, re- yeah, they've been a big influence on me. Her and her her whole family. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I love Cecile. I you know yeah, I try yeah, yeah. to stay away from like the people that are living and that are really close to me. She's only a few years older than me and mm-hmm. whatnot. But she she was one of the reasons why I started singing jazz. Why I transitioned from opera to jazz. I was feeling really stuck with that career path mm-hmm. doing it since I was like 16. But when, when I started doing semi-professional productions and a few professional shows here and there, I was looking around like, I don't, I'm not really pleased with my options here. These roles are not exciting. Right. Uh, these new operas are weird. Um, <laughs> there's too many of us in the first place. Yeah. And I don't fit like, I don't know if you know much about opera, but a lot of I the, don't lower bass baritone role bass baritone roles are like old people because mm. um, they're like lower and they're like oh, oh, oh. yeah this, i don't i don't want to be like an old man i don't want to be like some villain i don't right. and i also am not really interested in telling stories that really didn't have anything to do with my ancestors so right. i was still lost until i heard her voice um i heard her singing on the radio like 2016 i was like hmm this woman obviously has classical technique and classical training, but she's singing jazz. Yeah. That's that what clicked for me. I was like, this is jazz is black classical music. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's what I had been searching for. It's like finding reason and meaning behind the, re- uh, the reason why I sang. I loved opera, mm. but I never figured out why am I doing this? Why is this important for me? Why is me singing a song in French, a French sad song? I can't talk. Sasson, why is that important for me to sing today to people my age? Right. This is beautiful, and I'm sure there's beauty in it, but it just I it was really difficult for me to relate. You couldn't connect to that. 
know, as much as I tried. And I know mm -hmm. that there's a lot of black opera singers that have been able to do that successfully. Mm -hmm. um, but just for me and my path, I don't. Yeah, um, you were looking for I, something else. Yeah, something a little deeper. So her, she inspired that in me. And um, what am I on three? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, God, let me let me speak this up. Three and um, you mean musically, right? Um, it could be anything. Hmm. Uh, this oh, she's another living singer. Her name is Rum, Rumpa Maha David, mm -hmm. the Carnatic singer. Um, here based in, in New York City, um, a classical Indian singer, and I don't know her very well, but she's inspired me greatly. I don't even think she realizes how much. Um, I took a, a workshop with her like a month ago in Carnatic singing because I've been really fascinated with Indian like singing technique for a while yeah. um and she just really kind of opened up my mind to like just I I'm really fascinated with the idea that um singing is very cultural yes. singing has a lot to do with where you're from and just the fact that because I grew up in a predominantly white area and I didn't go to a gospel church my introduction to singing was classical when I went to school mm-hmm automatically was in a classical choir I did classical competitions but because of my surroundings that's how my musical identity was shaped mm -hmm. so i'm just really fascinated with how um indian singers use their voices in ways that are completely different um to the way that we use our voice so she's kind of been a portal for me in exploring different yeah. rondas and stuff like that and i've been trying to incorporate um some of that into my music and, and into my art as well. Right, right, right. Yeah. The, the, there's, oh man, there's an Indian singer in um, here in New York and she does lessons and I've been trying to get a lesson with her, but I can't. Oh, <laughs> figure it I forget her name now because it's it's hard to pronounce, but. Yeah, the con the huh? Carnatic music too? Um, I, I am very light in it because I'm a big Jeff Buckley fan. Mm -hmm. And he was really into Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan. And he had like this whole, like he really incorporated a lot of uh, Indian style singing. Mm -hmm. But um, I was just so like blown away by the control, like the mm -hmm. accuracy of uh, mm -hmm. of the melody, accuracy. especially because they're doing semitones and stuff. Yeah. Have I you couldn't... ever heard of a pitchy Carnatic singer? <laughs> I've never heard one in my life. I just, I d I've yeah. never. And here in the States and, you know, you can, one out of every three singers has issues with intonation. Yeah. Um, I don't know how it is, and but like what well, I do because they, the way they train and the way they learn music is very different. Gamakas. This is the backbone of Indian classical music. In fact, it is Gamakas that differentiates our music from the rest of the world. So let's learn a little more about this beautiful concept. What is a Gamaka? A Gamaka is basically a connector between two notes. So instead of singing notes in a plain manner, like we add some curves and slides and make it sound like Now when we do that, it adds a lot more life to the notes and brings out the essence of the raga. So what are the types of gamakas that you can find? Well, Carnatic music recognizes 15 different types of gamakas.
But today we're going to look at the four most common types that you can easily recognize when you listen to a song. The first type is the sliding gamaka, where you simply slide from one note to another. We slide between the notes like Sama or take a descending example instead of Sanipa. We sing Sanipa. Sometimes an entire line will be full of slides like Tendral I took a, a class that I took, there were five kids under the age of 10, mm -hmm. just like little, little kids <laughs> and very, you know, like grown people too, but they were yeah. in there singing way better than I was. Wow. Singing the scales and ragas since they were really, really little. Yeah. It's just something, it's innate or well yeah. not innate, but like they've grown up around it. Yeah. But it's, it really is mad the way that they think about it and the way they go about singing. Really? Um, to me. So mm. I just, I always think like if I would have been born in South Africa, would I have been a classical singer? Right. I don't know. Mm. Very interesting that I was born in Texas and I wound up being a classical singer. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I would. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I would say the last person, Billy Eckstein. Who? Um, Billy Eckstein. Okay. Um, he was I, one of the first black male jazz singers. I think he came a little bit before Nat King Cole. Okay. But he uses, he he um, was one of Sarah Vaughn's biggest inspirations. I don't know if you know. Oh, wow. Yeah. She was very dramatic in the way she used her voice. Yeah. Uh, so, and like all kinds of tricks and acrobatics wild yeah billy um he had a a big band and he would let sarah sing in his big band when she was like really young first mm. coming um and they were they were really close friends and they influenced each other a lot but he he's helped me a lot which is learning to find my sound because i do have like a really heavy dramatic sound but a lot of times it doesn't really fit with the trio it doesn't really fit with modern swinging jazz mm -hmm. uh, but listening to his music has helped me kind of shape how i want to use my voice in the context oh like how to direct it yeah i mean because i don't know i it's yeah i'm i'm a pretty dramatic singer and most of the time mm. when people think of jazz they don't think of drama mm. <laughs> dramatic um but yeah. it, Listen to his older records, his and say it's very dramatic. It's all drama. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Passion. Um, so I'm looking to try to figure out how to bring that into my music. So that's an interesting problem. I mean, well, not problem, but that's an interesting like uh, journey you got there. I really like that. Oh, I heard you. um on your Instagram, I heard you sing. How did he look? And I loved it. Mm. I loved it. I was trying to find the whole video but i couldn't find oh, it i need to post that i lied to people and told yeah. them yeah <laughs> you should it was oh, really good i mean okay i'll do it today um <laughs> yeah that's a um a, an old male torme song mm. he's another big inspiration too um, he was one of the only white male jazz singers that was you know people really um ella fitzgerald was like a huge fan he could scat with her for minutes and minutes and minutes so no way Another brilliant um, inspiration of mine. From August 2nd, 2017, 
Um, these are a series of quotes, real life quotes that happened when I was at a opera festival. Um, things that I have said, things that other people have said that just kind of like made me cackle. Um, so the first one is <clears throat> eat your maggot croissants and shut up. The second one, there's nothing glamorous about bowling. The third one, there's nothing roachy about me. The fourth one, I'm a woman, I'm a meal. And the last one, I came here to sing opera, not to be a garbage man. <laughs> on that summer. I just thought it was so funny. I love I'm a woman, not a meal. No, oh, sorry. It's I'm a woman, I'm a meal. Oh, I'm a meal. Yeah, I'm a meal. Oh, <laughs> okay, okay. That's cool. Not a snack, I'm a whole meal. <laughs> Oh, funny. Oh, okay. I got you guys. <laughs> what happens at an opera festival? Is that like, is that like Burning Man, but like more powdered wigs or? It was like Burning Man. <laughs> it's like that. I mean, that will be fun. It's like Burning Man, but you actually have to do a show every night. So right. you can have fun. <laughs> right. You know, there's only so much we could do because every, we were working really hard. A lot of us were in two or three shows. Mm -hmm. um at once mm -hmm. um so for the first two months it's like rehearsal every day for like eight or nine hours and then Whoa. the rest of the month it's like a festival so each night i don't know if it's each night but maybe five nights a week a new show was on at the theater and if you were casting it you were you were doing it so Whoa. that was the whole summer and it was very intense it was that's intense it was fun but it was a lot of work that was kind of the experience that made me realize yeah this opera stuff is not for me april 19th 2015 um i just wrote i might as well get used to being happy and that was it but i when i i had forgot that i wrote that this, i'm really glad that you asked me to do this because it kind of was a trip down memory lane and i barely remember why i wrote this but it still resonates with me today yeah. It's like happiness is sometimes it just takes a lot of work. And sometimes I don't know if it's just me, but I'm not really interested in being happy a lot of the yes. time. If that makes sense. Um, and, and a lot of times when it comes, I think we're often like, okay, but for how long? Right. Like, it comes in the form of a person or like a new job or whatever. You're like, yeah, but how long is this going to actually make me happy? Mm -hmm. um, so I think this quote was kind of like, um, well, I guess I'll get used to being happy for now. Like, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Accept I it. Yeah, yeah. But like with a little bit of like um, trepidation, I think. Mm. Uh, I don't know if like, that's just me. But... Do you mean like not holding on for, not holding on too tightly? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's another good way to say it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What 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 has been a particularly happy day for you recently? Um, being able to actually create a project and execute it and finish it in a day that makes me very happy. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. lately, the the feeling of like going to bed and not having done anything every day is really depressing. Mm -hmm. Um. But like. It shouldn't be. I'm working on realizing well, you don't have to do anything every day. That's not natural. Some days you can just wake up and not do anything. That's okay. Right. Um, but I think being under quarantine, doing that for like 60 days is a lot. 
Um, but I think those are the days that I've been feeling most happy is when I can actually finish something and focus. Mm. Mm. What I, is, what's hmm? been something that you, you've been proud of for doing? Mm, my friend and I are writing an opera. Oh, cool. Yeah, and she's um, doing the composition and I am, um, sorry, this is, can you hear that? Yeah, oh, it's okay. Should I close the window? No, no, it's fine. Um, my friend and I are writing an opera. She's doing music. I'm doing the words. We're kind of doing both of it together. But mm -hmm. we've been talking for the first, when we brought up, we started working on it actually when we met at that opera festival two summers ago. And then we put right. it aside. And we picked it up again two months ago when all this the quarantine thing happened. We were like, yeah, we'll do it. We don't have anything else to do. There's no excuses. We're just at home all day. We'll, we'll get it out in no time yeah you know a month and a half went by we met like once <laughs> and then when we did meet we were like wine drunk and just cackling about nothing really and we didn't <laughs> um, um but then recently in the past week we figured out a way to um actually start moving the story forward and like have tangible results instead cool. of just getting on the phone and being like yeah i'll do this this will be awesome right. and then we hang up and we don't talk again for another month we we figured out like a process that works for us. We kind of, um, we're kind of writing together at the same time now. Like we'll mm -hmm. pick a scene, pick a song. Um, we'll put on a drone, whatever the, we'll decide a key for the song or mm -hmm. the aria of the scene. So say the, the scene is maybe like in um, the key of G. Mm -hmm. We'll put on a, a G drone and then I'll write some of the words and then she'll tinker around on the piano. Once we'll have like a, a rough draft of like the the aria or the duet then we'll start making up melodies because we're both singers so we'll just start mm -hmm. um it's amazing what a drone does to your brain it kind of like uh. it's hard to describe but I, I can just hear things so much easier when that way i can hear that the same note over and over again and then we just yeah. build from there and we did that three nights ago and we got three scenes written um all in one night so that's super cool yeah yeah that's that that made me feel really satisfied like i went to bed mm -hmm. that night feeling really happy because I, I woke up the next day i was like here's a real thing that i did yes it's real like i can put my hands on it and look at it and say it out loud that that makes me happy yeah i'm happy for you no thanks <laughs> that's cool that's hard i uh an opera it's like it's like an album except it's less forgiving you know <laughs> like an album it's like a movie it's like a ballet it's like yeah all, everything together in one art form it's yeah um, yeah i think i mean opera was made to impress really rich people in the beginning opera was made to you know appease you know um people uh wealthy people in their chambers um, right and they just got more and more grand as time went on, which is why opera is hard to sustain in terms of money because it it's just such a massive undertaking. Um, it's a it's a play and a musical, but also like so much more of that altogether in one. It's like a it's like a an event. It's like a classy event, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I went to the Met and I saw um, Samantha got me a ticket to see. Mm. Porgy and Bess. Porgy and Bess. Oh wow! Yeah, and I, uh, that was pretty. I love it. it was amazing. I I had I had been taking. I took like a year of classical singing. I've never sung before, and I was just like, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I didn't even know the voice could be that powerful. Mm. You know, mm. when mm. you when I heard first of all my teacher, when I heard how loud she could get and how like much control and breath she had, I mean Your I couldn't even believe show? it. I'm sorry. Your teacher was in the show. No, no, no. No, she wasn't. Oh, well, when you but, had your lessons. Yeah, when I had my lessons. Yeah. And then when I saw a basically in action, you know, <laughs> a real pro- I was I absolutely just blown away. Um, it is uh, amazing to just kind of be like, wow, human beings can do that. Like, yeah, that, if, if they can do that, then some part of me can do that, too. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like it's in there. But yeah, I just have to. It, what, what's so interesting about singing is that I never feel, I always feel like it's um, deconstructive rather than constructive in mm. the sense that like I'm trying to unlearn the more I unlearn about my voice and the more I like forget so about the way it's supposed to sound or it's whatever, so the, the better it gets. Yeah. That's, I haven't heard that in a long, that's, that's something that I heard when I first started singing. I haven't heard that in years, but that is so true. Mm. You have, you grow up having all, with all these influences and ideas of what a singing voice should sound like. But yeah. really singing lessons is just kind of breaking down, like, where, what is your voice? What's naturally? Yes. After all of these influences, I mean, we can't not be influenced, but after all that is stripped away, what is the core of your sound? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that just had a lot, of, a lot to do with just kind of finding who, what is the core of yourself? Right. <laughs> who are you as a person? what speaks mm. to you and i think that's kind of what has been my journey um mm. it's like figuring out okay well this is the kind of music that i like to sing this is why and yeah. because of that this is the style that i'm going to sing in and this is a technique that i'm going to use and it just kind of all comes together thanks for listening to notes that was joshua banbury if you'd like to hear his music or support his patreon visit his instagram at joshua banbury That's Joshua, B-A-N-B-U-R-Y. Also, please leave a review of Notes on Apple Podcasts. Write a written review. If you put one of your notes in the review, I will read the note on the show. It really helps, and it's free to do. Notes comes out every Saturday morning. See you later.